Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon on today's podcast is a solemn one. Preached by J. Wesley Hadcock in 1974 at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida. He titles it, The Danger of Being Stiff-Necked. I share with you what I think of as one of the most solemn scripture lessons to be found in the whole Old Testament and remind you of the truth found in this first chapter of Proverbs, again with verse 23. Would you please stand for the reading of the word and prayer? Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for thy faithfulness in telling us the truth. We thank thee for sufficiency of grace that the needs of our hearts be met in Jesus. And we thank thee for the sufficiency of thy message in its warning to arouse the slumbering soul. We pray that God, the blessed Holy Ghost, will solemnize our hearts for thy proof and then make our hearts yet the more solemn with thy truth, and grant that the blessed Holy Ghost, our Father, shall put the enemy to flight when it comes in like a flood and seeks to destroy souls that are here. Do thou help that there shall be at least a few whose hearts will be lifted unto thee in prayer even while we preach. Say what the human can say and help us to be faithful after thy judging that thou mayest thereby be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seen. The text for the message is found in Proverbs 29 and 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed. 
and that without remedy. I think of my text and am reminded of the goodness of God. God's goodness is manifest in a number of different ways. One way we can see his goodness is in the fact of his having made special efforts to get the truth to us. He might have moved in one and only one way to get the truth to us. And if we had not heeded, he could have let us die in our sins and he yet have been a just God. But in his goodness, he has gone beyond. I know not how many efforts he has put forth or along exactly how many lines he has moved in manifesting his goodness. But one of his manifestations of goodness is revealed in his giving warning after warning. Or to say in another way what I've tried to say, let me declare that he who has given us the message briefly worded in my text has given us the same message in its solemnity in concrete example after concrete example. If we would not be persuaded in the light of the brief statement, we should at least be convinced in the light of the concrete examples. If we were to take this book and search from beginning to end, and endeavor to make a full list of all of the examples of the truth of my text. I know not how long it would take, neither how lengthy would be the list when it had been finished. Say, so I'll not make any attempt to give you a full list, but I would like for you to think with me of some scriptural examples of the truth of the text. Some of the scriptural examples of the truth of the text. The first of these that I share with you is the example of the antediluvians, the citizens of this world, the other side of the flood. God was good to those antediluvians. He sent reproof after reproof. He moved in their best interest. His goodness was manifest in their behalf. There was all the reproof that came through Enoch that walked so close to God as to be translated without seeing death. There was all the reproof that came through Methuselah that lived in their midst almost a millennium. But the reproof of these both was rejected and spurned by masses, and they went on in their sins. But God in his goodness didn't stop at thus reproving them. There was added reproof that came through a preacher of righteousness called Noah. God gave him a, a very definite responsibility it was that of building an ark with specifications given, three story, a three-story structure it was to be, and other specifications were given. And Noah was faithful in carrying out the instructions to build the ark. I can't prove it by the Bible. It doesn't give us all of the details. But I am persuaded in the light of human nature that some individuals went by where Noah was busily engaged in constructing the ark and then went home and figuratively speaking picked the preacher of righteousness to pieces around the dinner table. 
I'd like to digress at this point long enough to sound two notes of warning and to say, say to every father in this service, from the youngest to the oldest, you and I as fathers had better be careful what we say around the dinner table. We'd better to be careful what we say other than the conversation at the dinner table. For we need to remember that there are sons and daughters that are already having a sore battle uh, with their minds as to whether there's anything to it after all or not. And if you and I can be used of the devil to destroy their confidence and that other wholeness preacher and that other wholeness individual and that other individual, you and I may help the devil to send our own child or children to hell. Mothers, from the youngest to the oldest, from the front to the back, you had better be careful what you say around home. Oh, I know some things did happen at church, but it's better that some boys and girls don't hear it hashed over and somebody run down and, and the whole thing uh, brought in with a wrong spirit or attitude. Some things are true, but they're better left untold. And if you aren't careful, you may help the devil to send your own son or daughter to hell. Will you pardon the digression and I'll go on. Regardless of what was done or said, Noah was faithful in the charge God gave him. Finally, the finishing touches were put on and Noah and his household entered into the ark and the Bible declares God shut to the door. And when God shut the door, the door was shut. When God shut to the door, the last opportunity had slipped by. When God shut through the door, he shut in and he shut out. And if I could bring the people of this congregation tonight that are here with spiritual difficulties and spiritual needs to a keen consciousness of what a narrow, narrow, narrow crack there is left in the door of your and your opportunity to ever get to God, I'm persuaded that it would not be needful that I finish preaching the message for at least some of you to come running to the altar and to Jesus. But now that the door was shut, the whole picture changed. The scene became drastically different. The door was shut. Noah was safe on the inside. And the fountains of the deep broke, uh, were broken up and the waters came from beneath and the waters came from above. It rained for seven days and seven nights. For 14 days and 14 nights, the rains descended and the waters rose. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And again, I can't prove it by the Bible. It does not give us all of the details, and I'm glad it doesn't. But I am of the opinion that some of those antediluvians thought, we'll show Noah and God both we don't need their ark. We'll make it out on our own. That's exactly the way some of you precious people have been living and acting as though you don't need Jesus in your heart or in your home. But I would be faithful to tell you, you do need him. You desperately need him. And you're going to need him even more than you need him now. I imagine some of those antediluvians climbed up in trees and thought, we'll be safe. 
that the waters rose about their feet, about their knees, about their loins, about their shoulders, and multiplied thousands, perhaps as many as two million souls slipped into watery graves and woke up in a fiery hell. If those poor antediluvians could be turned out of the burning regions of the lost long enough to make their way to this evening congregation and march down that aisle of the center of this tabernacle and turn around and look this judgment-bound congregation in the face, they could tell you out of thousands of years of burning experience that the preacher is preaching the truth to you. For they know, they know that he that being often reproved, hardened of his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Added to this example, I share a second and find it in the case of the Sodomites. God was good to wicked Sodom. There was all the reproof that came from Uncle Abram, a man of God and a man of prayer. But that reproof was spurned and rejected. And then there came more reproof when angels literally spent the night in wicked Sodom and all the reproof that came through holy angels was spurned and rejected and persuaded that across these years of evangelizing that over and over and over I preached to young people, teenagers, older individuals as well who would do absolutely nothing about seeking God and repenting of their sins if they were to be met by an angel between the point where they stepped out of their car door and entered the door of their home. I'm persuaded there a soul that would do nothing about seeking God if an angel were to appear in the bedchamber. Yes, sir, but lo and behold, God's judgments were meted out. The sun rose for the last time on wicked Sodom. And God in his judgment and wrath rained fire and brimstone out of the heavens and poor Sodomites had fiery graves and woke up in a fiery hell. If those poor Sodomites could be turned out of the loathing regions of the lost long enough to make their way into Hope Sound, Florida and park on these grounds and march through yonder set of doors down that aisle and turn and look this judgment-bound congregation in the two eyes, they could tell you out of thousands of years of burning experience that the preacher is preaching the truth to you tonight. For they know out of thousands of years of experience, they know he that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I bring to you one other the scriptural example of the truth of the text and find it in the case of Pharaoh. God was good to wicked Pharaoh. He sent reproof after reproof. There was the reproof that came through the plague of the flies. There was the reproof that came through the plague of the frogs. Under there were frogs in meeting, frogs and frogs in ovens and frogs in beds. I suppose those poor Egyptian idolaters had all of the idol of frogs that they wanted for once. God was good to them in sparing them when they would spurn the love of the Lord when reproof after reproof was meted out. And finally, nine plagues and thus nine points of reproof had been given by God Almighty. And old Pharaoh would remind me of some people that live in our day. He would seem to soften up and you might thought from the way he acted, he's going to, he's going to yield, he's going to let the Israelites go. And then he would harden his heart and stiffen his neck and uh, rebel yet the more. It reminds me of people that live in our day 
who say when the, that angel is about to overtake a member of their household or when they are in dire need or when they are in real deep trouble, if you'll just spare him, if you'll just spare her, I'll live for you. It reminds me of individuals across the briny deep yonder in foxholes telling God, if you'll just let me get back, if you'll just let me get home one more time, I'll live for you. And in case after case, God is spared and had mercy, and soul after soul has returned only to become more wicked than they were before. If we could have a Holy Ghost revival meeting that would get all of the broken vows and promises of other days and really kept what a mighty moving toward God we would have. After nine points of plague and in thus nine points of reproof had been spurned, the whole scene changed. The tenth plague the death angel came. If some of you precious hearts live long enough, if some of you live long enough, you may get saved. Long enough, what do you mean, preacher? Long enough, long enough to march down the aisle in some church and look in the a casket at the cold palm of that one that is so near and dear to you. Or if you live long enough to wait yonder in the funeral parlor and see that loved one that is so near and dear to you, cold in death. If, if, if you live long enough for some real calamity or tragedy to come, you may get to God. The preacher, not now, not with good paychecks coming in a good automobile to drive and plenty to eat and lots of fun. Not now, preacher. I realize that's the attitude manifest by heart after heart and individual after individual. But wait a minute. After the death angel came, when the death angel invaded Egypt, then the whole scene changed. Pharaoh let them go. I ask you and you and you that have spurned God's love when such solemn messages as my brother has been bringing to you, when such stirring truths as he has declared unto you in service after service has not as yet brought you into the kingdom. It has not persuaded you in your soul to seek God with all of your being. I ask you, what will it take? What will God have to have to come your and your and your way for you ever, ever to get to God? Now the death angel came and old Pharaoh let the Israelites go. But even after he did, he changed his mind and got his army together or took the Israelites down by the Red Sea. And when God opened up the Red Sea and let the march through dry shod, Pharaoh with his wicked army started in pursuing them. And God in his judgment and wrath brought the waves of the Red Sea over them and individuals of Pharaoh's army along with Pharaoh had watery graves and woke up in a fiery hell. If Pharaoh with his wicked army could be turned out of the burning regions of the doomed and pass this way to testify to my judgment-bound congregation that they could tell you out of thousands of years of burning experience that he that being often reproved and hardened at his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. But some of you don't have to have the testimony of the and of the Nubians. Some of you don't have to have the testimony of the Sodomites. Some of you don't have to have the testimony of Pharaoh and his wicked army. All some of you need is the testimony of that blood relative, that old schoolmate, that neighbor or that friend or that individual with whom you were closely associated in some other connection. 
to be a, a, uh, a solemn testimony to you because he and she, in case after case, having been uh, reproved and reproved, suddenly got cut off, entered in hell while I preached to you this Saturday night. I pass from these examples of the truth of the text and remind you of some ways that God sends reproof. And one way that God sends reproof is by his word. That's one reason some people don't like to read this black book any better than they do. It shows them how crooked and corrupt and mean and wicked and lost and doomed and undone they are. And they don't want to know that. But God is still reproving by his word. Did you hear him in Ezekiel? As he declared, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The individual responsibility of a soul is one of the leading subjects of the whole book of Ezekiel. Individual responsibility. They used to try to say, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. In other words, they tried to shift the blame. They tried to shift the blame on somebody else. I wonder how many I'm preaching to that are saying by your actions and maybe by your words, really, I can't be what I ought to be. My dad's a drunkard or my dad's a thief or a liar or a gambler. I really can't be what I ought to be because my mother is wicked and mean and ungodly. I hope you and you, none of you have such parents, but I have good news. I can share with you truth and tell you, regardless of how far your father may be down the broad way of sin and how how wicked your mother may be in her wicked practices, and God Almighty is able to make you the kind of uh, son or daughter that you ought to be. It's an individual responsibility. You won't have to go to hell because of your parents. But remember, it's your sins that you will have to give an account of if you don't get them under the blood. Individual responsibility. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. He doesn't stop at reproving in Ezekiel over in the epistle of James. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin is death in the green stage. But death is sin, dead, ripe. And sin is rapidly ripening into eternal death. That is true. You don't have to quit your lying. But remember, when it is finished, it ends in death, eternal death. You don't have to quit your adulterous practices, whether it be by the lustful look or by marrying somebody that already has a living companion or when you do, or by breaking your marriage vows. You don't have to quit. Nobody's big enough to make you quit. You're simple living and you live on in your right mind and make it no Remember this, when that kind of living is finished, it brings forth death in the burning region of the lost. You don't have to quit uh, following after dope and drugs. No, you don't have to quit. But remember this, my poor sinner friend, when that kind of living is finished, it brings forth death in the burning region of the lost, the doomed, and the damned. You don't have to quit your Sabbath desecration, but remember when it is finished, it brings forth death. You don't have to quit your uh, gambling, but remember when it is finished, it brings forth death. And don't forget that it is just as much gambling to take chances on turkeys at Thanksgiving and Christmas season uh, that you may gamble thereby as same as gambling over yonder in the poker game. It doesn't matter whether you gamble in the church or out of the church, whether you do it by taking chances 
chances on turkeys at Thanksgiving and Christmas season or quilts or, or whether you do it by slot machines or punch board or by a fancy deck of cards at a, a, a bridge party playing bridge for prizes that all comes in one and the same category. And when it is finished, bring a full depth. You can go right on coveting, coveting the other man's wife and the other woman's husband and the other fellow's farm and the other fellow's automobile and the other man's church. But remember, when the covetous life is finished, it bringeth forth death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. He didn't stop his reproving through the word. When he gave us these reproofs, he added to these that one that is found in Romans 6 and 23. The wages of sin is death. Sin really earns wages. Some people don't. They don't work faithfully enough to earn wages. But sin earns wages. Sin doesn't only earn wages. Sin pays wages. And sin doesn't stop at paying wages. Sin insists on paying wages. Preacher, what do you mean by such? Let me simplify. You may go on the job Monday morning. Oh, I don't think any of you will do such, but, but you may go on the job Monday morning and work down the payday night, and when you receive your paycheck, you have the privilege of saying, huh, if that's all I'm going to get, I won't take anything. And they can't make you take the check that you've earned. But when you live for sin and the devil, when you live for sin and the devil, and you pass, as it were, the great paycheck window at the judgment hall of God Almighty, and find that your pay envelope is edged in black, that you receive the worst of all ages, it's death. It's the worst of all deaths. It's eternal death. You can't refuse the wage you earn. I say sin insists on paying wages. And, and again and again, it pays some installments in this life. Broken hearts and broken homes and dissipated bodies and wrecked lives are some of the installments that it pays in the here and now. But not only so, sin sometimes pays off according to time. Preacher, what do you mean by that statement? Well, let me simplify and illustrate from the book. David was guilty of adultery. And when sin began to pay off, he had adultery in his own family. David was guilty of murder, and when sin began to pay off, he had murder in his own family. Young lady, you better be careful how you dress. You better be careful. You better be careful as to how you act on the date. You better be careful. You better be careful, young fellow, and keep your hands where they belong. You better be careful on the date. Don't park the car out yonder at the neck and pass out there in the dark and give the devil a chance. Uh, to lead you into adulterous or, or uh, fornicatious practices. Don't let the devil get the advantage of it. Remember this. As an individual, so, so shall he reap. Yes, sir, there is an awful reaping connected with sowing. No wonder some young people have got on drugs. No wonder some people blew out their brains. No wonder some people grew, uh, ran the exhaust up through the automobile, rolled up the glasses and were found dead. When they were reaping what they had been sowing, they weren't willing to face the issue. Now, oh, I know the devil says everybody has to sow their wild oats. That's a lie from the devil. Nobody, nobody has to sow wild oats. But if you sow wild oats, you have to reap wild oats. And you don't have to fertilize them to get a bumper crop. But the worst part of it is that sin pays off in the full. The wages of sin pays off 
come in the full in the next life in outer darkness. Oh, it seems to me one of the torments of hell will be for an individual to remember. This is what I work for back in God's green world. Seven days a week and part of the night's going. I'm receiving the wage that I so diligently labored for, serving sin and the devil. The God that reproves by his word, reproves by his spirit. The Holy Ghost has been in this camp meeting. He's here tonight. It's still written in the book, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged already. I'm so glad for the faithfulness of the blessed Holy Ghost. He reproves some people of their backbiting. He reproves some people of their gossiping. He reproves some people of their two-faced living. He reproves some people of their filthy talk. He reproves some people of their dirty jokes. He reproves some people of their lying. He reproves some people of their wickedness that took place in the lone uh, motel and hotel room and out yonder at park in the, in the dark. He reproves some people of their drunkenness and some of their gambling and some of their cheating. He reproves some people of their wicked words and some of their wicked deeds and some of their wicked thoughts. The Holy Ghost is here. He's faithful in our midst again tonight. The God that reproves by his word and by his spirit also reproves by prayers and tears of loved ones and friends. I'm not preaching in the bush uh, across the briny deep in Africa tonight. I'm not heralding forth glad tidings of redeeming grace in my native state of Kentucky in the mountains where numbers have never heard and heard as you and you have been privileged to hear. I'm preaching to wholeness folk. I'm preaching to individuals that have been associated with wholeness churches. I'm preaching to different individuals who know as well as the preacher knows what you ought to do and you haven't done it as yet. Yes, sir, individuals, individuals have been blessed, though, with a godly father making intercession for their soul. They've been blessed with a mother that has prayed in the daytime and in the night for their salvation. Some have been blessed with a, a man of God, a servant of God, a preacher that has been faithful to pray for their soul. Individual after individual has been reproved by prayers and tears of loved ones and friends, but they climb over tears, as it were, and waded through prayers and climbed over caskets in some instances in their mad rush toward the regions of the law. But wait a minute. The same God that does thus reprove also reproves by his providential visitation. Reminds you that it won't be long until you meet the God back of the park and lightning and behind the rolling thunder. Every time you pass a funeral train, every time you pass a cemetery, every time you attend a funeral, it should be a reminder that it won't be very long until they'll make a hole in the ground for you and one for me unless we be caught up in the rapture. The death angel is on our trail and, and, and all of the providential movings of God should be reproofs to individuals that do not know the Lord. The incident that I'm about to relate, as I understood, took place up in the state of Michigan. There was a backslidden father in yonder home. The mother was a Christian. A meeting was in progress. She wanted to have the evangelist entertained in their home out in the country. And the day came when they had the evangelist in their country home. Had the backslidden father of the home had a number of sheep over in a certain field that he wanted to transfer over to another part of the farm. There was quite a stream of water between the two points. 
and he seemed to think it was going to have to take them a rather long way round to get them over in the desired field. But the preacher had a desire to get a message across to him, and the preacher went over and laid hold on a little lamb and gathered it up in his arms and then waded right down through the water and put the little lamb down safely over on the other bank of the stream. In a little bit, the lamb blated and blated, and it didn't take long for its blating to attract that the mother and that mother sheep waded right down through the water to go where her baby was. When that happened, another sheep followed and another sheep followed and another, and in a little while, the sheep were in the desired field. And then, and then the preacher reminded that backslidden daddy that that was a picture of what God had done. For they had one little girl at their house, and God had reached down in their home and gathered up that little girl and taken her over on the other side to try to get a backslidden daddy interested in going to heaven. I wonder what it's going to take to get you and you and you interested in going to heaven. I was in the Tennessee camp meeting a short, some time ago now. There was a couple on the ground. Oh, yes, it seemed that they had gotten back to God. But, oh, how how depressed were they in one sense at least. For they had one little girl, and they had gotten at house, as I gather and, and recall, and with some individual in the church and dropped out of the church. Their little girl, I think, was eight or nine years old, and she would go. Had to church and go, and mom and dad wouldn't go along. But the day came when the little girl sickened and died, and after, after the death angel came, then mom and dad finally got back to God. But as I understood, they couldn't ha ever have another child. Oh, what a price it's going to take for you and you, in addition to the price that Jesus has paid to make it possible for anybody to get saved. What else is it going to take to get you ready, ready, ready to seek after God? Yes, sir. And, and God reproves by his providential visitations. But I pass from the points of reproof, Newland, and the way he reproves and reminds you some ways that sudden destruction may be yours. Remember, whether we choose to think about it or not, the death angel is on our trail. We just a while ago had an announcement of death since the camp has been going on, closely connected with one that had been here in our midst. The death angel is on my trail. He's on yours. He's stolen, as it were, another march on you today and another march on me today. It's just a little while until every last one of us are going to have an undesirable appointment with the death angel. Can you see, can you see the dirt still on yonder spade where they dug the last grave for the individual that died out yonder? And the death angel is rapidly overtaking young people and older individuals. While I was pastoring in southern Indiana of Princeton way some years now ago, a young fellow by the name of Brothers, 18 or so years of age, was shot on South Main Street in Princeton, Indiana. Heard off to the Gibson County Hospital. I called in the hospital while he was there. His mother came in, and while we waited, he slipped into eternity. She brought in some money that she had taken out of his pocket and said this is what he was going to get his clothes with from the cleaner. Somebody has clothes in the cleaner that they'll never, never pick up. Somebody plans to get saved when graduation day has come, and they'll be in hell while the rest of the class has its exercise. My wife was in Rosie Claire, Illinois, in high school years ago.
A certain young lady was a year ahead ahead of her in high school. This particular young lady had clothes bought to wear to the graduating exercise. Teacher, did she wear them? Well, at least part of them, but not to the graduating exercise. For the death angel wouldn't wait for graduation day to come. She wore them in the casket that held her coal farm. And while the rest of the class that she started out with or was about to graduate with had their exercise, she was in eternity. I'm preaching to some people that never will live to be as old as your mom and dad have lived to be. You don't have to be 16 to die. You don't have to be 29 to cross the line of worlds. And you don't have to be sick two minutes to die. You don't have to be sick at all to die. I think of this. I'm reminded of my Aunt Selena Conn, who lived by the side of Route 62 that went up from our end of the state, the western end, toward Louisville, Kentucky. And Selena Carr, living out in the country, had did things differently to what different folk do. She had a rather strange practice, as I think of it. She had a cow to milk. There were chores to do. And after the chores were done, and uh, some work was done in the house, she had a practice of making the bed. And after she made the bed, she would turn the covers back, ready to recline in the evening. This particular morning, Aunt Selena Carr did her chores, made her bed, turned the cover back to go to bed that night. But she didn't make it. She went out in front of the house and looked at some flowers. The blood began to gush from her nose. She got as far as the front porch and slipped into eternity. She planned to go to bed that night. She already had the bed, the covers turned back, but she went into eternity instead. Somebody plans, plans to do thus and so in the morning, and they'll be in hell by in the morning. Somebody plans to do thus and so this coming week, and they won't live out the whole week. And it's altogether likely I'm preaching to a number of souls that the casket that'll hold your coal farm of mine has already been built. And your sudden destruction may come by the sudden unexpected appearing of the death angel and you be unprepared. But wait a minute, there's another way that sudden destruction may be experienced to you by the sudden unexpected appearing of Jesus in such an hour as you think the Son of Man cometh. And after the Son of Man cometh, the Antichrist is going to take over. There's going to be a time out there in not far distant future, perhaps nearer than anybody here is aware of or thinks of. There's coming a time when the Antichrist is going to take over and people will have to take the mark of the beast to be able to buy or sell a thing or else the number of his name or their three uh, uh, different uh, things that may be had there and we're going to have to do one or the other to be able to buy or sell. But if you take the mark of the beast, as I understand, you never, never, never can be saved. I beg you, don't let your doom and destiny be sealed by the sudden appearing of the death angel. Don't let it be your sad experience to be lost because of being caught in the grip of the awful uh, atmosphere that prevails in the days of the Antichrist and to be uh, taken, taking the mark of the beast until you can't... Uh, uh, in order to be able to buy or sell and thus have your doom and destiny sealed. But wait a minute, there's another way that sudden destruction may come to you. 
I wish, I wish some of you'd pray a little bit harder in the next seven or so minutes. I'd like to remind you in the light of God's word. I'd like to show you by the book that you may sit in the same pew you're sitting in tonight or the same chair you're sitting in tonight and your doom and your destiny be sealed. You may ride in the same automobile that you came to church in tonight and your doom and your destiny be sealed. You may sit at the same place at home at the table, the family table as you have been sitting for months or years and your doom and your destiny be sealed. Preacher, what do you mean? If the Holy Ghost will help me, I can show you in part at least by the book what I mean. It's still recorded in Genesis 6 and 3. My spirit shall not always strive with man. But preacher, can't I get saved just any time? That's not what Jesus said. He said, no man cometh unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And God declared, my spirit shall not always strive with man. There is an unseen line in the path of every soul. And, and you may even tonight lift your rebellious foot and set it down on the other side of the unseen line. And God never, never, never speaks to your soul again. But it doesn't stop in Genesis 6 and 3. The scripture lesson that I gave you bore out a solemn declaration. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. But it doesn't stop in Proverbs chapter 1. Read it in Hosea 4 and 17. God says, he from his joined idols, let him alone. What a statement, let him alone. When God the Father lets you alone, God the Son lets you alone. When the Father and the Son let you alone, the Holy Ghost lets you alone. When the triune God lets you alone, the devil takes over in fuller force than before. I beg you, don't allow yourself to say no to Jesus one time too many. And that may be the time that it'll happen tonight if you spurn the love of Jesus. It doesn't stop in Hosea 4 and 17. Read it in Jeremiah 7 and 16, where God says, pray not for this people, for I won't hear you. What a message. Did you know that was in the book? I don't want, I don't want God to ever say, don't pray for James Wesley Adcock. I won't hear you. I don't want him to ever say that about you or you or you. But your rebellion and your rejection may bring God to that same declaration as he gave in the days of old. Don't pray for him. I won't hear you. Don't pray for her. I won't hear you. I wonder if that's one reason why some real prayer warriors don't have a burden to pray for certain individuals anymore. Is it because they've already crossed the deadline and God says, pray not for him or her, but it doesn't stop there. Read it in Jeremiah 15 and 1. Then said the Lord unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Pass them out of my sight and let them go forth. I don't want you or you to ever reach that place. It doesn't stop there. Read it in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 24. God gave them up. I saw a man who was given up by the preacher but he finally got saved. And some may get saved when the preacher gives them up. I'm not sure. I don't know. It may be you can get saved when angels give you up. But when God gives you up, there is no hope. There is no hope. In the next verse of that same first chapter of Romans, verse 26, God 
gave them up. Over in First John 5 and 16, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that you shall pray for it. I beg you in interest of your soul, be warned by the example of the Andalusians and the Sodomites and Pharaoh and his wicked army. He God's reproof that comes by his word and by his spirit and by prayers and tears of loved ones and friends and by his providential visitation. Do it before the death angel Lord takes you. Do it before the uh, second coming of Jesus is yours to experience. Do it before the Holy Ghost leaves and never to speak to you. But the last declaration of my text is the saddest of all. He says, and that without remedy, without remedy, what a message. No remedy, no remedy. Oh, what a message. You may buy a suit or a dress and be displeased with it and take it back and exchange it. You may hang it in the closet and leave it. You may wear it out and get another. You may trade it off. When your doom and destiny have been sealed, there is no remedy. There is no remedy from hell. There is no remedy in the earth. There is no remedy from heaven. There is no remedy from the devil. There is no remedy from fallen angels. There is no remedy from wicked men. There is no remedy from holy men. There is no remedy from holy angels. There is no remedy from the Holy Ghost. There is no remedy from Jesus. There is no remedy from the Father. There is no remedy, no remedy in life, no remedy in death, no remedy in time, and no remedy throughout eternity. I beg you, don't follow the way that would bring you to such a sad lot as this. Let everybody stand. Dear loving Heavenly Father, in the dear name of thine only begotten Son, Jesus, move upon every needy heart in the house and give a yielding spirit in our midst. Help saints to be faithful in the next little while. We ask it in the name of Jesus. I wish everybody here that ought to get help from God would come and somebody's here and others are on the way. And numbers out there need to seek God to be sanctified or saved or reclaimed or delivered from your lukewarmness. Yes, they're coming. Would you pray on, saints? God is mighty to deliver. He wants to meet the need. They're still coming. Don't let the Holy Ghost be grieved out of your heart. You have no assurance that he'll speak to you tomorrow. You have no assurance that he'll speak to you again. He's not obligated when we spurn the love of God and slam the door of our heart in rebellion in the face of the Holy Ghost. He's not obligated to come back and speak and deal and deal from way back there in the back. From way back there in the back, I urge you to come. And some down closer to the front have soul needs. Who else is going to come? Who else is going to pray? Will you let God do what you know you need to have him do? Who else is coming? Who else is coming? Here are a number, but who else is going to pray? Somebody else needs God. Somebody else came over here to the left. And somebody else is on the way. But numbers and numbers of others have needs that only God can meet. Don't let the Spirit of the Lord be grieved out of your heart. He's here. He's been mightily present in this camp meeting. And he wants to work a work of grace in your heart that you need to have him work tonight. Will you let him do it? Will you let him do it? Somebody else is coming. But where are all of those others? Where are others out there to whom the blessed Holy Ghost has spoken. Will you or you pray? Will you or you come? Who else is coming? Who else? Who else? Somebody else is on the way and another one over yonder. But there are numbers and numbers out there that haven't yielded as yet. Please don't take a chance 
of the blessed Holy Ghost never, never speaking to you again. The death angel may overtake you before your next birthday, yea, before you get home. Who else is going to come and let the Lord do what you know you need to have him do? Yes, somebody else is on the way over to the left, and they're still coming back. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on.